Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. Enchanting is the word for Claire Marie's laughing voice, the French countryside she was raised in, where castles are as common as mushrooms, and the incredibly light, crispy, golden French pastries made only by the people in her very specific region of France to celebrate a Midland carnival that no one else in the world even knows about. However, as Claire explains, pain touches every person of every generation, even those living in the Valley of Kings. The truly beautiful and timely part of this episode is that Claire sets before us an example of redeeming our own pain with empathy, forgiveness, and making things a little easier for those in our care. I'm just so thrilled to introduce you today to Claire Marie. Let's just start with how tired are you? <laughs> because I'm not tired and I'm very excited. <laughs> I'm so happy to be talking to you. Well, you are in just such a busy phase of life. You have these three little boys, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So tell me about your three little boys. <laughs> Their names first, because this is like so French. So I'm married to an Irish and we live in Ireland. I've been in Ireland most of my adult life. But I thought it's just nice. Like I am so proud. I would say, yeah, I'm proud of their French heritage. So my firstborn is called Eli. It's a lovely name. It comes, it's a very ancient name, but it comes from Greek. Uh, Helios it means sunshine. Oh. So it's a very, like a very nice name. My second is Ben. It's not short for Benjamin. He's so okay. cute. Uh-huh. And then my last one is called Matisse. So oh, it should be kind of like a French variation of Mathieu, but not. So it's M-A-T-H-I-S. Okay. So very and, French. <laughs> and and the, the third little one is very tiny. Yeah, he's going to be one in 12 days, 13 days. Oh, okay. So my eldest is turning six on Tuesday. So it's mm-hmm. all like birthday cakes. And my second turned three in January. So six, three and early one. Yes, that's so busy. I'm the eldest of eight. So, I mean, three doesn't seem that big. (laughs) Because I've only always known what it's like to be a big sister, I never realized what it's like not to have that experience. It's only once I became a mom and realized a lot of my mom friends had like loads of questions and loads of insecurities. And I was like, I've always done this. (laughs) Like something that actually took me by surprise was when my first baby was born. I, like I couldn't help myself. I kept calling him my youngest brother's name, and it took oh. me a good couple of weeks. Like not joking, it took me a good couple of weeks to just realize that I wasn't a big sister. I was the baby's mom, and it was very different. Wow. Like you know, I just went in automatic mode or something. I just knew straight away what to do. I mean, all the baby stuff was fine, but the relationship. I was like, oh, oh, that's that's different. After each birth, like, I have a moment where I go into proper shock. It's not even love, it's the connection. I I thought it was going to be instinctive, but really I had to learn how to be an emotional connected mother, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Because like, of course, like, I mean, I love babies. And the first time I moved away from home was the first time in my life where I wasn't surrounded by small kids and babies. And I missed it so much. Just the, the easy contact, the cuddles, the love, the laughter. I was like, oh my God, this is so sad life without small kids. Mm-hmm. And because all my life, like I was 13 when my last brother was born. So, I mean, you know, eight kids in 13 years, it's pretty much babies all the time. Wow. And so, I mean, yeah, I was like nappies and all that. I mean, I've seen that like 
I don't know how many bottles or how many nappies I've changed in my life. But yeah, all of that was not an issue at all. But yeah, really, I was taken by surprise about my whole emotional reaction. Really, really, I was taken by surprise. It took me several weeks, I think, to really realize, no, this this is my child, <laughs> my mm. baby. <laughs> yeah, I think most people, it's instant. And to be honest with you, it was not for me. It was not instantaneous at all because... Oh, really? No, it wasn't. And I think there's several reasons for it. But with my second, it was much more so. And I think it's almost because that part of me had been turned on. You know what I mean? Um, And then funny enough, my third and fourth are adopted. And people always say, oh, you don't feel the same. And I'm like, actually, it was easier. I can actually completely understand. On another side note, uh, we're eight kids and number five is adopted. We adopted her when she was three months um, I remember like the like it was yesterday. She has Down syndrome, and oh. so we went and picked her up when she was three months. I remember we packed her little clothes in my doll's suitcase. Oh. <laughs> uh, I'm getting emotional talking about it. Oh, but yeah. So and I so as it imagine, <laughs> and as a child, you just you. It sounds like you really had all the responsibility of a mother. I mean, you were really taking care of these babies. The funny thing is, if you ask my mom, I never did anything around the house. <laughs> and that used to really hurt my feelings. Um, but I've come to terms with it now that I'm like an adult and a mom myself. I understand how crazy and overwhelming the task of having eight kids was. She had no help, no grandmothers around, mm. no help whatsoever. Eight kids. A Down syndrome kid who is like, she's adorable, but she's um, heavily handicapped. I mean, she's... 25 I think now she's born in 95 but in terms of mental development she's like 18 months old so she's like heavily handicapped um so it was tough like the first couple of years were really tough and so I understand now looking back that anything I did seemed like nothing because it was like Mm. nothing for her like it was drop in the ocean but I remember doing like I don't know how many laundry loads where I had to go and bring them to get dry, put all of the clothes on the racks. I was mopping the kitchen floor every day. I was like dressing the four kids, giving them their baths and all and like changing, I don't know how many nappies. Like, you know, I was doing a lot for my age, but yeah, wow. now I understand that at the time it felt like nothing because it's just so much. But I loved giving cuddles to the small ones. I spent hours and hours and hours with each of them, you know, like when my parents were too tired, they'd put one in my bed and I would just like cover them with kisses and cuddles. And like, I, I, I didn't feel at all the burden in terms of emotional side because I loved being a big sister and I love that part. I just, I suffered from the physical burden, which wasn't very nice, if that makes any sense. No. But again, I completely understand now. But I think it's very hard to look back through the lens of someone else's experience. For her, to still to this day, she looks back at it the same way she saw it, let's say, 20 years ago. So, mm-hmm. you know, she's not really able to put herself in my shoes, which I understand. I mean, that's okay. Mm-hmm. I, I've come to terms with it. That's why I feel three is not that hard. <laughs> like mm-hmm. eight kids and we moved a lot. Three yeah. is not that hard. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the physical carried and gave birth to seven and 13 yes. years that's a hormonal roller yeah. coaster yeah and if we got the lucky and the not lucky side she got she was sick for like nine months straight we used to make fun of her because she was vomiting over and over but so imagine doing this so many times over and over i mean i don't know how she did it. well yeah she was constantly sick for 13 years oh, pretty much 
I mean, that's going to cloud your vision of anything. It's true. Yes, yes, yes. And on the other side of that, to come back a little bit about food, I mean, on top of having eight kids, we did homeschool for most of our our lives she had and still has to this day most of our food is homegrown we have mom has her own chicken her own lambs her own huge vegetable garden i mean i'd say she's probably 80 or 90 percent sufficient so you know as if eight kids wasn't enough <laughs> we have yeah. fully like homemade organic food and yeah and homeschool i mean so you know <laughs> well yeah so i am starting to understand a little bit while you're downplaying what i'm noticing you know i got to know you on instagram and i noticed you were cooking really delicious nutritious french dishes all the time <laughs> taking you. photos you had these three very very young kids and then you said oh and i'm going back to work today Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I guess I won't see Claire so much on Instagram, but here you are still making the same food. <laughs> Organization. My, that's the, my mom's keyword, but I so agree. Like that's oh. one thing she was so good at. And like, really, I think it's the only way she was able to manage it. You have to be organized. <laughs> so yeah. so um, you work and mm-hmm. you have these three very young boys and we know boys are full of energy, but... Mm-hmm. You cook constantly and it's not just meals. I mean, you bake. So there's something (laughs) that you really love love about food. You just love Mm -hmm. it. Tell tell me Mm -hmm. about that love. I mean, it's part of my identity and that's a big Mm -hmm. thing for me to pass on to my boys because they have French. They're definitely French in a lot of their little traditions. My (laughs) five-year-old at a time started school in September. But so school, which is very different. In France, you'd have your lunch hot dinner served in school like you have Mm -hmm. an hour and a half lunch break to have a proper lunch an hour and a half yes and it's like three course dinner like in for lunch yes you have a starter a main a hot main and a dessert and probably cheese as well it's part of life of course you have your lunch at 12 or half 12 it takes time but so yes so the school sent a little suggestion list on what to include in your lunch box Mm-hmm. to my son starting Irish schools so I was reading it out you know <laughs> ham cheese all of those and my five-year-old's like I oh, know I don't like ham but I like duck terrine <laughs> <laughs> I am not joking I mean he brings quail eggs <laughs> does he really yes. that's amazing I mean this is what I have done and now I'm that's like amazing. I'm gonna so have you- three teenage boys who, who eat like quail eggs and lobster for their <laughs> breakfast yeah yeah and your food bill is going to be more expensive than your college education so how do you find those ingredients there that's actually a very interesting thing since i moved to ireland 12 or 13 years ago i have seen a massive change in the food scene in ireland like i remember when i saw my first french cheese in the supermarkets here and i was like wow this is like a big day for me but Mm. over the last few years there has been such a change ireland has amazing quality products because they're green all year long so in terms of meat and dairy the quality is amazing um so there's really being a big push to to look at the the irish produce and you know push them for what they are and be proud of them but also some export from like french cheeses or italian chorizo or you know things from outside that 
weren't there a couple of years ago. Now they are cheesemongers. My boys know the cheeses by heart. They know the ladies there. I mean, now I'm talking about my three-year-old who just turned three. His mm. highlight of going shopping is to go eat the cheese. And I'm talking about blue cheese, stinky cheese. He loves any cheese. And it's yeah. like, instead of having ice cream, it's like, oh, can we go and eat some cheese? And the ladies love him. Because seriously, talk about foodies, like a three-year-old foodie. So do you feel it's the same as shopping in France? It's like in comparison to f my French friends, I realized I had to make a lot of my own things. Like, for instance, bread or same with pastries. Like, it's just easier to make my own. And so I make my own bread. I make all my own pastries and cakes. And But I know that if I was in France, maybe I wouldn't go through that effort because the bakery right. is just down the road and you just go and buy it <laughs> yeah you know for years i used to really miss french food i wouldn't say it was painful but it's just different we've adapted because we do some kind of french cooking but we've for mm -hmm. instance taken more the irish timing because <laughs> like french are so traditional about timing of the food <laughs> so you have breakfast at a set time lunch is at 12 or half 12 and dinner is at seven it's, and that's then what how about ireland um so breakfast is kind of the same and then lunch would be more around half one two but mm -hmm. then dinner would be more around half six but so anytime french families come over they would be like at 12 they'd be like, okay okay what's what's on for lunch You know, I want my recipes to be written down and I want to pass on to my boys that side because obviously mm. I could be gone tomorrow and I want them to have something to to look back at and to remember and to be like, mm. this is what came from our French heritage. So for you, food is really all about keeping your boys connected to your French heritage. And, mm. and also, I understand how important relationship with food and so I really think it's so important to have a healthy relationship with food. Have you ever struggled in your relationship with food? Oh that's kind of the sad side but my food's journey but we spent hours and I'm not joking hours and hours and hours in front of our plates because we couldn't eat the meat and my poor parents used to lose it on us because I think they just nerves wise after a while it was just the amount of strategies I developed to hide food under <laughs> in my pockets to go in the bathroom I mean it was one of my most horrendous nightmare having like cardboard over chewed bits of food that I couldn't swallow what foods could you not eat any meat would Oh, it would just be a nightmare even just thinking about it. But I honestly think, I wonder if it's some kind of genetic traits because my dad hates meat even to this day. So, I mean, you know, he was saying that too, like being mum's good books, but he didn't eat much meat either. And the funny story is my grandmother, who we're talking about today, her dad, he would only eat like a thumb size of chicken, which was very unusual. At that time, nobody would be a vegetarian or something like that, you know, so it must have been very unusual for a yeah. man. So are you vegetarian? No, that's a funny thing. So once we got married uh, 10 years ago now, we moved in together and I, I started trying you know like especially because my husband is a meat eater he loves mm -hmm. meat i started my own rediscovery of food really the baking aside because baking i've always enjoyed but i i really went out of my way to find a way that i would like the food i would on purpose buy a new ingredient or a new vegetable every week or so and try it and see what happens mm. and you know that's why we have a very good relationship with the boys on food and that's something so dear to my heart that they can mm. trust us 
that we'll always ask them to try food, but we'll never force them to eat anything. But so they have the confidence and the trust that it's okay to try it because they're free to say they like it or not. If mm. they like it, they can take more. If they don't like it, they don't have to take more. And mm. I think that's definitely a freedom I didn't have as a child. Mm. It's a shame because then you lose the signals. Or do you actually like it? Or do mm-hmm. you, are you hungry? You know, do you, mm-hmm. why do you eat? Is it because of hunger or because you have to? Or mm-hmm. it's just so many interesting connections. It's nearly like a muscle. You have to work on it when you're young and getting the boys to go to the markets with me and to take part of prepping the food. And you feel like having them involved in the preparation as part of building a healthy relationship also. Totally. And I just think it's so important to give kids mm-hmm. as many opportunities as possible, you know, to feel like mm-hmm. they matter mm-hmm. and they, have, they can have an impact on their life. They can make mm-hmm. choices and see the consequences mm-hmm. um, but so especially in terms of listening to their own body and their own needs like they are in charge of their own bodies and how they treat their bodies so mm-hmm. clearly i say to my boys you know there are things we can eat once in a while it's not good or bad food it's like right food that you need on a daily basis like you need your protein you need your mm-hmm. your veggies your fruits for your vitamins and all that and then treats are once in a while because we don't really mm-hmm. need them, but they're nice. That's really thoughtful. And yes, that's a way of turning around your experience as a child. Yes, exactly. Good for you. It's hard to be objective about those things that didn't go right for us. <laughs> Sometimes we just repeat the same thing because it's all mm-hmm. we know. And it's almost like, well, we suffered, so you should too. And mm-hmm. then sometimes we might go the exact opposite way and just say, well, I don't want you to ever have anything you don't like because I really suffered in this. So it's really easy to go one of those two paths and you've created this middle ground. Yeah. yeah. And I think mm. having my sister who also suffered differently, but also has very big food phobia and having three kids the same age, we do talk a lot about things and we do a lot of research. Like, I mean, there's so much information out there if you look for it in terms of neurosciences, parenting, I mean, and that's what Mum was saying. She would have loved to have access to all this because mm-hmm. she obviously like looks back and she knows, like all of us made some. She made some mistakes because she didn't know any better, and she was so mm-hmm. willing to do different. She just didn't have the tools. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. food is for the rest of your life, and that's why as well it's so important. We eat for survival. We eat for social interaction. I mean, you can't if you have a problem with food, you can't just put it aside food right every day three times a day and that's why for me it was so important to do this like even if i mess up some other aspect i mean uh, food is so important it can break or make someone like you know if you don't have Mm. a good food relationship your health is at risk and your Mm. mental health physical health i mean i really think it's one key key ingredient for your childhood even like you know too much sugar or I mean, I really don't think people realize the impact food has outside the kitchen. Like, you know, for sure, it's just food on a plate. But I really think mm-hmm. it has huge consequences in terms mm-hmm. of many, many aspects of your life, positives and negatives. Yeah. And yeah, what you're saying, say that again. I feel so passionate about it, but... I- Yeah, but I'm really kind of catching your passion because so accessible and there's so many ways to just meet that need in the moment. It's not actually something we think about really working at. Yeah. And as well, something that I'm very aware of and that we are so privileged. Mm -hmm. I explained to the boys, we we are so lucky to have 
the amount of food that we have, we we have never known hunger. We have such a lucky life. We have to be so grateful and appreciate the food we get, the the opportunity to bake. I mean, this is like a leisure, like you know, and that's why as well I feel so so, so passionate about food waste. But, mm-hmm. in, you know, a couple of generations ago, you didn't really think about this. It was obvious. I feel I sound like a 90-year-old. but No, I think you're so right. And it's one of the purposes of this show, you know, to make us more grateful for the gift of food. I guess I say it's every day, three times a day. And mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're right. It makes or breaks so many things from health even, to even mental well-being. And the love for baking. How did that come about? So the baking element really came in super early. I mean, we grew up, I was doing homeschool. Uh, we didn't have TV. We didn't really have much, especially being the eldest. We didn't so have can that I, can much. I ask you yeah. real quickly? So the the family size, the homeschool, none of this is typical for France, <laughs> is it? No. Okay. <laughs> the Down syndrome adopted daughter. No, right. Adopted. Yeah, my parents are kind of an original, like, yeah, an original mix. They come from two very different backgrounds, like socially. So they come from two extremely different backgrounds. But one thing that really brought them together, I think, is faith when they were young adults. Um, But they wouldn't even fit in any usual, I don't know, boxes like Catholic okay. or like you know like faith boxes even in France don't really <laughs> fit them like my mother is from like a high social class where oh. and my dad is from very countryside and so they're they don't, like we don't fit in any social class group and in France Catholicism is also very linked to social classes so like you're kind oh. of a different Catholic depending on your social class which sounds a bit silly but it's, it's very very strong that is very interesting but I would I say see. like faith is definitely a huge part of my parents life okay. in their decisions and it's a big thing that unites them as well which is quite beautiful um, but but so for different reasons they wanted us to homeschool and we asked to go homeschool um, to homeschool as well after like we tried so many systems and every time we're like okay let's try this and we begged to go back to homeschooling because it was just so much better so mm-hmm. you know it was quite an original unusual upbringing but I definitely remember from the age of seven or eight one of my favorite activity or hobby would be baking <laughs> and I mean you know with so many people in the house it was always a good idea yeah <laughs> <laughs> always appreciated to- yeah, and mom used and to your... always complain about the dishes afterwards. But... <laughs> yes, I'm guilty of complaining about that with my oldest, but she must have been too sick to cook, you know, half the time anyhow. I don't know how she did it because I remember her being sick, but I never remember the house falling apart because it never did. Like, And that's why it's still a mystery to me because I'm constantly thinking, how? How did she do it? But she just pulled through and I think she kind of shielded us like I only remember her crying when she was pregnant with my youngest brother and she kept telling me but I'm not crying because of him because I'm so happy to be pregnant but I just don't know how I'm gonna do it we were always on a schedule like you know not like an annoying strict schedule but I mean our life had structure it was always organized kind of mad to think about it I can only imagine why like she went through cooking phases where it was like four days and like maybe not every day but like you know for months on 
she to have her favorite dish. So it could be like cabbage stuffed with sausage meat, which I hated. But that was her big dish of the moment. And then it would move on. Maybe I'm totally off base here, but it really sounds like, well, you were drawn to baking for two reasons. One, because cooking often involves a protein source and those made you feel sick. <laughs> but also because, and I think it's because of your grandmother, you knew how baking was supposed to turn out, but you really didn't have a model of a good cook. Mum was very famous when she was younger for her own baking. I mean, she she was a, a music teacher. And so she went touring the States when she was a late teenager oh, with her wow. guitar. Completely crazy story, but with her guitar. And uh, at the end of one of her concerts, she didn't have anywhere to stay. And this beautiful American family, the end of one of the concerts said, oh, it was beautiful. And they just ended up chatting. And Mum was like, well, no, I have nowhere to stay. And they just opened up their house and their arms and to these days it's like our adoptive family wow and so during her time in florida when she was a late teenager like a young adult she had organized to make <laughs> this sounds crazy but it's true they had organized some kind of party and so mem baked i don't know how many like dozens of pies and tarts and then a huge cyclone came over <gasps> and so then the the, all of the party was cancelled and mum had all of those quiche and tarts that was wow. left there so she oh. went around wait for it she went around and gave them to all the neighbors and apparently like months later once she was back to france like six months later she got a letter i guess a, a message or a letter from a chef who was asking her to come and bake <gasps> pies for him in the states Really? <laughs> yes, this is like an incredible story that Mum is always so proud to say because her tarts were famous. So, I mean, it gives you an idea. She was a really good cook and she did really enjoy making all those quiche and tarts. Oh, and that was wow. her moment of glory. But wow. I can imagine her, you know, young French woman in the middle of the cyclone giving away her tarts because that's totally what Mum would do. Like she just yeah. spoke to people and here you go. She's very, very generous. <laughs> what a story. That's amazing. So the so the, the baking really came from your grandmother to your mother to you. So this is actually, my grandmother is my paternal grandmother. Oh. No connection here, but my grandmother to me is somebody I'm very close to. And I think it was one of the most um, static, if you can say, static figure. Um, to give you a bit of background, we moved like 15 times in 18 years. So like even to this day, I even... Like true story. Again, this week, I had a dream that like about me moving houses and me, my parents moving to one of our old houses that had completely changed. And wow. in my dream, I was extremely angry and resentful to them. I was like, "Why are we wow. moving like this?" And this is now years. So I mean, that wow. had a huge impact in my life. So you said and, fifteen times in eighteen mm -hmm. years. Yeah, I wow. we're always moving. And my grandmother's house is the only one that stayed, <laughs> like, you know, through everything, mm -hmm. even through mm -hmm. moving to Ireland, through everything. But it's clear that I'll have to say goodbye to her, but also to her house, which mm -hmm. sounds a bit silly, but it's like the house in itself has no value. I mean, it's a small, tiny No, but it's like, your home. That's the closest thing you have to a home. Yeah, it's the only thing that I've always mm -hmm. known. And, like, I know mm -hmm. my grandmother's house to the tiniest drawer. Like, for me, like, looking at her in her kitchen and she always does dishes by hand, which is mm. so funny. She's, she has a dishwasher. She's never used it. Um, and yeah, like I really spent a lot of fond times 
in the kitchen with her and I always feel like it's a great place for confidence. Mm. Like, I don't know, we've always had some really, really nice chats and laughter. I mean, we've laughed so hard at that kitchen table, just mm. her telling me old stories. I mean, mm. and the kitchen is tiny. It hasn't changed in since ever. Like, I think since they moved here in like in, I don't know, the, the 60s or something. Mm. So tell me a little bit about these grandparents. It started very harsh for both of them in their lives. But I think she always said like in the second half of her life, she really found happiness. On his hospital bed, he was telling my grandmother, you're not loved, you're adored. (laughs) Her parents were farmers. Um, So she grew up like on a farm, but she always wanted to make dresses Um, So she was self-taught on the farm. Like she used to look after the cows, even though she hated it. She told me she was never supposed to be a farmer. She hated it. She was scared of Mm. them. She she told me something actually quite important. And she said, no one ever asked me what I wanted to do with my life. But then she was self-taught, you said. So then what would she do? She would go in people's houses who would give her work for her dressmaking thing. So she'd stay for Um, like a couple of weeks in this, let's say, richer people's house and she would make clothes for all of the people there. So people would just order like five dresses and then she would stay with them while she made the dresses? Yeah, yeah. So it's very interesting actually because she told me loads of stories because she was from the countryside, but she always felt, like she doesn't say this in a negative way, but she always felt she was different. And even my mom, who comes from a very different social background, always said that my grandmother, even though she was from a very simple background, always like she she has such a, a way of carrying herself. And even now mm. she's like, she always stands perfectly straight. And because she's, mm. all of her clothes are perfectly tailored and made like, she's so like pretty, she won't get out of the house without her lipstick. Like, you know, mm. she's... Like she always had manners and she noticed that straight away. And she said when she was going into other people's houses, sometimes like people would eat like pigs or like, you know, and she'd like be with servants or whatever. And she'd always be like, well, at least you could like sit up properly. <laughs> yeah. like, you know? It's really funny because mm. she, like she said it herself, she never really felt like she was supposed to be a farmer. Like, you know, she was mm. never supposed to be with them. If she was staying with people while she would make dresses for them how did she you know raise your dad and and his brother that's one of the very painful part of my dad's story so she had her first son when she was 17 basically while she was watching the cows boys were around she didn't have a clue she got pregnant and she always said she never wanted to marry him because he wasn't loyal like she knew Mm, mm -hmm. so she knew she was going to be unhappy for the rest of her life so she never married him and she also told me which is so sad she didn't get out of she didn't get out of her house for several years i think it's like three years because she was so ashamed and she thought people would judge her yeah yeah but i i think physically she thought she couldn't leave the house because i even asked her like well what about mass and stuff like that she was like me going to mass after having a child no no i didn't leave the house so she didn't leave the house for several years like in the countryside do you think that was just her perception of how she would have been treated or was yes the people were um, not really that no because i was like this is mad and because she told me she cried herself to sleep for days and days and days and days and so i really think she had depression for a couple of years because it's 
horrendous, like the memories she has of it. It was absolutely horrendous. And then one day, one guy apparently asked about her um, to her parents. And so she agreed to go to a coffee shop or some kind of coffee in the on the village, you know, square, like the center of mm. the village. And she realized that nobody did anything to her and that mm. she could actually get out. That's literally how it ended. How and in the world did she get that idea? I don't know. I, I really know that they didn't speak. Like, and that's something she suffered from. Like, they never spoke. They never spoke in that family. But I think they never spoke at that time. Like, to give you an idea, for Christmas, they had one kiss and one orange. The one kiss of the year. Like, that's the relationship they had. A, a you, kiss? And, like, like, yes, like from her parents. They had that was the kiss. Christmas present? Yes, a kiss and an orange. And she said they would not talk ever. Like kids wouldn't be allowed to talk. Like, And she said, my dad never raised his voice, but if we made like the slightest thing at the table, he would just look at us and we knew like, imagine, it's just so hard. I'm speechless. Imagine. It's, it's a complete different, I mean, that's why it's so, for me, it's so fascinating. And also it's impossible, like for my brothers and sisters or even my mom. I'm like, you can't understand some of her life decision until you really know mm. where she comes from. It's it's not because it's very hard for us nowadays, especially when I'll tell you my dad's story to understand her life choices and decisions. But mm. we weren't her, we're not in her shoes. And we would we wouldn't be able to judge with our eyes because it's just it's so foreign. Everything is just so different to what we know, mm. life as we know it. The power that we have over our own decisions, how uh, we can influence our own lives, is completely different than what she's known. Mm. So yeah, it's 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 very very interesting. But so mm. she lived on the farm with her son and didn't go out at all. Um, and then she eventually was able to get out of the house and get the the job done. And I think she just brushed her son here and there and left it mostly on the farm as much as possible with her own mother who still had lots of kids and handicapped kids to look after mm. and then many years later because as I said that was 17 years later she had my dad mm. with a widower widower who had three or four kids of his own with mm. his wife who had died then had another child with a woman who was living in his house but they weren't married mm. then he had my dad with my grandmother, and clearly it was an accident, like she said it herself. And so then <laughs> from, so since my dad was born until he was three, my granddad was still living with that other lady. My granddad, my dad, sorry, was in an orphanage and my grandmother was working around and she was only allowed to visit him once on Thursdays um, because yeah, it wasn't allowed. This is your, your, your own father. She was yeah, only able to see father. her son. Yes. Yes, because it was organized, it was arranged, because I asked her so many times, because that's one of the biggest things we can't understand from our perspective. Like, as she said it herself, she didn't have a choice. And basically, she said, we never spoke about it. I went and gave birth. Your granddad had organized everything. I got out of the maternity hospital when he was two weeks old. Didn't say a word. He just put him in that orphanage who was looking, like it was looked after by nuns. And that was it. They didn't talk about it. So she was allowed to visit every Thursday and once or twice, especially one time, 
she was cycling to one of her clients and she was close to the orphanage. So she decided to go and visit. They were saying to her, like, you can't visit today. It's not one of the visiting day for you. And she said she was crying and so upset. Wow. One day she just decided she had enough. She just went to the shop where my granddad used to work. The mad thing is she didn't say a word. I was like, so you went? What did you t- what did you do? What did you say for everything to change over? I said nothing. I just stood there. But he knew. He, your granddad knew. If I was in the shop, it was to like have a decision made. So they apparently went to my granddad's office. And he announced to that other lady that my grandmother and him were going to get married. And that she had to move out. And that was it. My grandmother moved in a couple wow. of weeks later. And that lady moved out. And then, and then- my grandmother took my dad's back and they started a normal life but it's it's very hard to understand one for me what's very hard to understand is all of this happened with pretty much no talking literally it's just things are this way you just go on with it like she didn't question where her son was going to be like you know it's it's just it's very very hard to understand but at that time you didn't make your own decision especially if you were a woman who had kids out of wedlock. I mean, you were just well, trying to go by. And it's almost like your grandfather was waiting for her to do something. Yes, 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 exactly. Because I think he was in a very uncomfortable spot because that lady who was in his house had helped him raise kids that weren't even her own. Like, so, you know, she had been helpful for some time. And as a lot of people had said, she was too comfortable to move out because why would she move out? Like, and you know, he did have a child with her. Yeah, exactly. So it's just very complicated. And oh, it yeah. was a lot of pain, especially when he died. It was very, very, very messy. Mm. Uh, because so many kids from so many beds and uh, so much hurt. It's, it's very complicated. Mm. But yeah, so this is the story mm. of my dad. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. And then when she moved in with your grandfather and they got married and your dad came back to them, then after that, she didn't travel to make the yeah, dresses no, anymore. No, after that, so my dad, my granddad okay. had the shop, so because he used to be a cabinet maker, and so mm-hmm. she would do the sewing and stuff from her house. Mm-hmm. And they kind of did a bit of business together, like they used to do mass dresses and stuff like that, you know, like, I love this grandmother. I mean, it's just fascinating yeah. to be able to have the access to, you know, a very intimate yeah. part of someone's life because she answer any question. I've asked her all the questions I wanted, even very intimate questions because I'm so curious. It's kind of in awe, but also just in general, not just of her, but of the human yes. connection and human story. You know, how do you yes. at 95, what made you? Mm, yes, what a privilege to have that time to talk with her. Um, so tell me, tell me a little bit about this special house, um, its surroundings first. France is a huge country and mm-hmm. especially now living in Ireland, I realize how little of France I know. I mean, I only know mm-hmm. one area. All of those times that you were moving? It's um, within kind of the same area of France, like the general west. So mm-hmm. it's all kind of within the Loire Valley. So, I mean, oh. it used to be the Valley of the Kings. So there are a lot of stunning castles. So that's where all the French kings used to live. But if you go to, let's say, the south of France, where a lot of tourists would go, it's this completely different, completely, completely different. It's different. In nature, okay. in tradition, in accents, in food. I mean, really. But so my grandmother lives 
in the Loire Valley. So she really lives in the countryside. I mean, um, and my granddad was a cabinet maker. So actually mm -hmm. a lot of pretty much everything in the house he made. He passed mm -hmm. away now a good few years ago. They're still there. It's quite beautiful. All of his tools to work on his mm -hmm. carpentry and cabinet making. Mm -hmm. And then, so it's pretty much untouched since he died. And then there's still her, but mm -hmm. so she still has her sewing machine, which is one, you know, where you pedal. It's an old. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, yeah. An old set, yeah. She has an electric one as well, but she never really liked it. So she still has it. And I mean, wow. uh, to this day, I know the sound of it. Like I can hear it. It's a very specific rhythm and I can see her and doing like, it's so funny. She made an apron for me when I was younger, like with bits of, it's an ugly ugly fabric it was always hang at the back of her kitchen door mm -hmm. and last summer she was like I was looking at it and I was just thinking about it and she was like well do you want to take it with you because nobody's gonna use it now mm -hmm. here and if mm -hmm. you want to have it and I was like oh thank you it's funny because I know oh, I remember all of those memories and it's so deep in my heart like I love that little mm. apron that little mm. thing. But it's funny it's all about food isn't it mm. <laughs> imagine so yeah and was there a castle nearby to her home oh so many it's literally like we say like they're like mushrooms they're like wow. really dozens and dozens of absolutely beautiful places it's a stunning place to visit in France and it's wow. nice to go back now as a tourist even because <laughs> mm. obviously we do that now and you said that in your um in in your home even as you moved all these places everywhere that you went you would have your own garden and that's where most yeah, of your food would much. come from yeah i think i was born in paris but as soon as they decided to have a family we moved we actually lived beside my grandmother i think that's another reason why i'm so close to mm. her we lived one or two houses would be like in the city ish but then we lived in the forest for a couple of years and like yeah now we're like they're in the middle of the countryside for the last in the forest years. what yeah, does that it, mean to live in the forest <laughs> in the first no, it's just beautiful it covers many many little towns and stuff and it's beautiful um and so my mom had a big big vegetable patch there and that's the first mm. house we had our chickens in but so yeah, when so you live in the forest is there almost is there always a canopy of trees over you or do you clear out big big patches pretty much trees everywhere but there was one patch obviously for the house and then one reasonably big but i mean it's hard to tell but like enough for a good few rows of vegetables and we'd mm. go and water them in the evening but surrounded by trees like i mean literally there was just the fence and the forest on the other side of the fence, like completely bordering and then wow. trees all over the garden. So, no, it was really in the forest like you had. But it was so good. Honestly, it was great to have fresh produce. And I think it's once I moved out of my mom's house, I realized how tasteless mm. <laughs> produce can be. Even eggs. I mean, I was so used to have our own eggs. So like very early on, as soon as I had my first salary, pretty much, mm -hmm. I always looked for quality ingredients like tomorrow I'm going to the organic markets with the boys mm. um, and I don't waste any food. <laughs> this mm. is my, mm. my other side. I don't mind spending more money. No, we don't waste food. It's so important. And I think it's a strong value that, of course, my grandmother and even my mom would have, and mm. I want to pass on to my boys. I want to go back to this um, recipe a little bit mm -hmm. and um, not talk about making it yet, but what you associate it with. So you definitely mm -hmm. associate it with your grandmother, your paternal yes. grandmother. Can you pronounce it with your beautiful French? 
<laughs> well, I will try. I will try to say it the way my grandmother says it, because she has a very countryside accent from this very specific region of France. So I don't even say it the way she says it. So the way I would say it is Rusrol. Uh huh. <laughs> for you to pronounce, but the way she says it, she rolls her R. So she says like. She, she says it in a very specific way that only people like from her age and maybe her region would speak. Mm-hmm. Um, Did your mom make it also? No, because it's not at all from her region. And plus, mom wouldn't really do this type of, like, it's fried food. Rusrol is like proper countryside, very specifically from Touraine. What, what is the event that you, um, so I was confused about this event because mm-hmm. I did look it up. Yes. It's, mm-hmm. tell, me, tell me what it's called. I actually looked it up for preparing this interview and I realized that what I thought everybody did. <laughs> We're the only one who do it. <laughs> like, it's actually a very French thing, apparently. So La Micarène is the day in the middle of Lent. So I don't know why they decided to do this. Probably because love French love food and they can't wait on daily stories. So they had to like, come up with a, an opportunity for extra food. Micarène, so that's exactly what it, the name says, like middle of Lent. That's all, what oh, it it's means. translated middle of Lent. Yeah, it's just me means oh. half, like middle. Okay. In school, in primary school, I clearly remember that we all dressed up and it was carnival. So (laughs) we used to be all dressed up and two by two, like, you know, all the pupils, we'd all march the town and go back to our school, like on the footpath. Yeah, but it was so funny when I think about it. Because no one else was doing it. Like, you know, it was the middle of the day. People were at work. Like, the city was just <laughs> business as usual. <laughs> we would just walk around and go back to it. Nobody's watching this parade. <laughs> and at the time, it didn't seem odd at all. But now when I think of it, I think it's hilarious. This, When you say carnival... I mm-hmm. think of that as Mardi Gras, the day before Lent. Yeah, so that's the weird thing. Really, I think we do it twice. You reproduce it right there in the middle of Lent. You're like, <laughs> just take a break. <laughs> this is so French. Hey, listeners, just jumping in to say that I'm about to share that I really messed up in my first attempt of this recipe. So I didn't get to rave about the results with Claire Marie during our interview the way I usually do. Please know that these beautiful diamond-shaped pastries are light as air impossibly crispy and so delicious that three of my kids demolished at least 24 of them in the time it took me to pick up the last kid. This is definitely a recipe to bookmark. So let me just ask these questions. So first of all, what I did, oh, I really messed up, but they were good anyway. So when I when I do it properly, I think they're going to be amazing. Um, I was out of eggs. I went to make this and I was like, where did all the eggs go? And my husband said, oh, we ate the last ones for breakfast. So I, I borrowed one egg from my sister-in-law who lives down the street. So mm-hmm. I did everything one third, one third, one third. And then don't you know, I added all of the flour. So it was really short on the eggs, but they still puffed up in oh. the fryer, which is amazing. So I can anticipate how light Great. they're going to be at the end. I have, I think, just three questions. So first of all, call for soft butter and it's Mm -hmm. supposed to be kind of whisked in but um to whisk it in it almost seems like you have to melt it i think it's room temperature in france okay (laughs) but also traditionally people wouldn't put the butter in the fridge they would just put it in the butter jar thing 
soft, very, very soft, but definitely not melting. Okay, then I'm going to do that differently. I did that wrong. Tell me what I've never heard of either room or hooch. I've heard of rum, <laughs> but I've never heard of this. Room is actually, food. such a funny conversation actually that happened with my grandmother. So it's it's like a local alcohol, like a, a, a handmade okay. alcohol. It's a proper like countryside alcohol. Okay, you find <laughs> But that's the thing, because my grandmother was telling me the recipe and I was like, wait, I don't have this. And then she laughed. Wait, wait, she laughed and she said, oh, me neither. And I was like, what? And I was like, well, what? what do you use then? And she's like, oh, no, I use rum. But it's just that's the recipe my mother and my grandmother did. And I just laughed. I, I used I used rum. Yeah. Well, maybe yeah. somebody listening to this will be from the French countryside, the Valley of Kings, and we'll be able to put that in there. <laughs> you said that you roll it out and you cut it into ribbons eight to 10 centimeters wide. But how mm-hmm. thick is the dough supposed to be? Yes, so it is quite thin. Like, I definitely know my grandmother makes it quite thin. Mm -hmm. And then she told me to make sure they puff up. And that's why I think hers, she she kept saying, she was like, I don't mean to brag, but mine is definitely better (laughs) than everyone else. But so she was saying to make sure they right they they probably puff up when you cook them. She said make sure the the oil doesn't pour on top of them when they're cooking to make sure it doesn't put some weight over the the dough so it really puffs up when they're cooking. Yeah, and, and then and she does it quite gently, like she doesn't dunk them in, like you know she kind of gently like it's very French, but like you know it's, it's quite thin, it's quite delicate, and she just gently lays them, them in. Yeah. 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 Okay. And then um, you said that it's very specific that you use just regular white granulated sugar. Yeah. Yeah. No, I asked her because I was like, are you using icing sugar? I know some other people use icing sugar on the top, but she just used granulated sugar. Yeah. And I liked that because it had a bit of a crunch to it. Just to finish up, I want to go back to your story then. Tell me about meeting your husband and falling in love Mm -hmm. and moving to Ireland. Yes. So my brother made the joke with me when I had a year of study abroad and I picked Ireland because I had been to Ireland once and it wasn't too expensive to go. It was kind mm-hmm. of close enough, but still nice to go to. And he was like, yeah, don't go meet any Irish man. And I was like, Irish man, really? <laughs> like, I, I, I really remember saying that because I don't know, it's just so funny. I would have never, ever imagined being with an Irish man. But what, what uh, was it? What stereotype of Irish man did you say? No, I would never... I'll end up with that. So white. <laughs> <laughs> They're so pale, like really. But so I did come to Ireland to do uh, the third year of my literature and political sciences degree mm. and theology as well, actually, funny enough. Mm. And I thought, you know what, like all of the French students were staying together and mm-hmm. all of like with the French students or the foreign students. And I was like, I'm not here to be with French people. So huge university, the best thing for me is probably to join some social clubs or sp- and mm. so I find a self-defense club. <laughs> My husband oh. wasn't there on the day, just so you know. I always make it clear. <laughs> and that specific group, there are some really nice people. To this day, they are our closest and best friends. And they were so welcoming. And because I never fitted anywhere, I was like, this is my type of place. Mm. You don't have to be anything specific. I mean, I can just fit in without fitting in. So I decided to come back here. I had never done martial arts in my life. Um, Like my husband was one of them as well because he had just started to teach in that group of friends. Mm. 
you know, it took a few months. Like he was always like slagging me and, and <laughs> I was also, I had absolutely no money. And I mean, when I say I have no money, I had no money. So, and he was like, he had a tiny Fiat at the time, a tiny car. And like, he would bring me around and like showing me Ireland. And like, to me, this was like, first time of my life you know that somebody showed me around and like in a way looked after me like yeah he kind of took me under his wing in a way and I was like this is quite nice <laughs> I really enjoyed his company and we had long chats I mean and I remember the when I had to go back to France for Christmas and I remember saying goodbye to him on the bridge of that tiny town and I felt a big pinch in my heart. I was like, mm, wow. I better watch out. <laughs> and mm. then the funny story, I was actually going to mass one evening and two strangers stopped me to ask me where the church was in that college. And I was so naive and like, you know, so happy to help. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, it's over there. I'll, I'm going this way. I'll show you around. Mm-hmm. And the people actually stole my phone, <laughs> but mm. I am a quick thinker. I ran out, left my bag there, ran out of the church, found them, and I played dumb. I was like, oh, can you please help me find my phone? Like, I knew straight away because the girl had touched my earring and had said, oh, you're a nice earring. And I know that that was at the times that she took my phone because it was in that pocket. So, like, the guy who had my phone left and went in the middle of the grass a couple of feet away and the guy pushes something with his foot on the grass because, and oh, here like, it is. oh is this your phone <laughs> yeah. seriously wow. once all of this was finished I was in proper shock so I left wow. this crazy voicemail to my now husband and so that's what the night everywhere everything started mm. and you you had a dress made by your grandmother yeah that's just so lovely and everything was pretty much handmade homemade all about us um i had loads of irish people coming over and there again huge cultural clash because for me i knew what irish weddings were like in ireland you'd get married in a hotel where there there's a bar and stuff like that mm-hmm. in france you have like yeah you have the wine with the dinner but there's no there's nowhere to get drinks from but i had said like you know bring whatever you want like snacks or drinks or whatever for you to have a good time and enjoy a party because i know what a party sounds like in ireland yeah but mm-hmm. my parents didn't realize that i had told them that so they oh, thought no. that they were extremely rude so you know lots of things like that but yeah it's a long journey isn't it when you look at it like it feels like yesterday it but is, I know. it feels like there's been so much growth in in a positive way, but on an emotional level, on a relationship yeah. level, on a cultural level, on a culinary level. And yeah, even now, like really a special time for us is if we go and have a really nice meal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, we have like our little place where we're going to have our anniversary food. We go like maybe once a year and mm-hmm. it's going to be like expensive I mean it's like mm-hmm. a special treat and we've really enjoyed it it's like I don't think honestly I don't think I could have married someone who wasn't open to food that he wasn't used to like I mean you can't marry me if you can't stand the tent and the smell oh. of cheese like you wow. know but food is that important to you that's oh, amazing yeah. Oh, yeah. No, really really it's I think I hope you understand why food is so important to me from my heritage my culture and just in general how passionate I am about all the different topics that food covers and mm-hmm. how yet yeah, all the relationships that I have are all kind of linked to food you know my sons my grandmother my mother also in a way mm-hmm. um, and the fact that I now I now live in Ireland with an Irish husband <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Um, so very, very honored to be on your podcast. And I have been so touched by all the different guest mm. stories. I, I really think, like one of them said, it's such an important job that you do. Um, mm. And I'm so thankful for it. I'm thankful too. I, and this episode is going to be such an important contribution. Really, like I said earlier in the episode, I feel like you have done such a wonderful job of reminding us to be grateful for our food. So thank you. All right. Well, you have a good evening. Get some sleep. Thank okay? you so much. Yes, I'll go to my baby now. Okay. Thank you bye-bye. so much, Becky. Bye. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye. Thanks again to Claire Marie for giving us all so much to think about. If you'd like to keep up with Claire's busy life, her nutritious meals and beautiful bakes on Instagram, you can find her at Claire Marie Cuisines. Next week, I'll be bringing you a conversation with Tina Zaccardi, winner of season four of The Great American Bake Off. She shares all about her path to the show, patiently answers every single one of my questions about the experience of being in the tent, and of course, shares a classic Italian cookie recipe. If you haven't already subscribed, please take a moment to do so now so you won't miss next week's episode or any others. And if you would find it in your heart to leave a review for me and this episode or to share it with any of your friends and family, I would be so grateful. Thank you and have a great week, my friends.